ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Roast and Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. And let me get something out of the way real quick. My NFL playoff predictions turned out to be horribly wrong. My Cowboys did lay an egg, and happy birthday to me. But, you know, I've uh, been wrong in pretty much every game this playoff season. I usually get a few right, but that's that's why I don't gamble. I'm not stupid enough to put money down just so I can be wrong about the game and lose a little bit of money. But I really, I really thought that Detroit was going to go to the Super Bowl this year. And halfway through that game, they had that game just completely in their hands. And they did the most Detroit thing in the world. They just kind of piddled, piddled it away. And I like Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell used to play, and he wasn't very good, but he did play tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. He was with them for three years, I think. He might have made it four. Never made much of an impact. Like I said, he as a player, he was never really outstanding. Obviously, if you make it to the NFL, you're one of the best athletes in the country, but he just... You know, he caught a few passes, made a few plays, but he just never really broke out. And I don't know where he went after he left the Cowboys, but apparently he is a much better coach than he is a player. But Dan Campbell absolutely lost that game for the Detroit Lions simply because he was being so aggressive and going for it on fourth down. Now, I like that. I like that aggressive play calling. But at some point, you've got to just stop leaving points on the field. And he went for it at least twice in that game where they were in position. They could have kicked a field goal. And now they would have been longer field goals, but reasonable field goals. You know, those kickers now, they're hitting them pretty much every time from 55 yards. I can remember when it just seemed crazy when they were going for a 40-yard field goal. It was just a desperation move. You know, the game's almost over. If we don't kick it, we're going to lose. So. That was the only time you ever saw him go for like a 40-yarder or more. That's just how much better the kickers have gotten just in the last 30 years. But assuming that Detroit's kicker would have made both of those field goals, and like I said, there may have been a third time where they went for it on fourth and short. But if they'd have made those two makeable field goals instead of going for it, they would have won by three points. Like I say, I like the aggressive play calling, but you can be too aggressive. And they left points on the board or off of the board. Turned out to be the difference in the game. Now, of course, you don't know that halfway through the third quarter, but he was too aggressive. And, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because that aggressive play calling is what got them there in the first place. But I don't know, you you tempt fate too many times and it'll bite you. And it's a shame because I really would have liked to have seen Detroit go to the Super Bowl because... You know, once my team's out of it, I kind of root for the people that either have never been there before or it's been a couple of generations since they've been there. Detroit has never been to the Super Bowl, so obviously they've never won a Super Bowl. Even though I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, I would have really liked to have seen the Detroit Lions break through and get a Super Bowl win. And what we're left with now is the Kansas City Chiefs that's been to four of the last five. And the San Francisco 49ers that have been a couple times, and gosh, I can't remember if they won one or not, but but they've been there several times, and I just, I don't care. I have no excitement about watching this game. I don't care who wins. I will watch it. It's the last game of the season, but I'm just going to have it on. It's, it's more of an excuse to cook some chicken wings at this point. I'm really not too excited about the game. Like I say, I am going to watch the game. But at this point, it's it's kind of the it's kind of the the game of who cares. 
definitely not what I was hoping for, but we got to take what we've got. And you know, unfortunately, it's the 49ers versus the Chiefs, which obviously that's coming with a big heaping side helping of a lot of Taylor Swift, which I don't get why people are so upset by it. But at the same time, they're kind of focusing on her as much as they are the football game. And, and I get it, the NFL their viewership has been going down the last couple of years. They're probably really excited. You know, if you talk to the conspiracy nuts, they're telling you that the NFL manufactured this matchup just so Taylor Swift would be there. But I don't buy into that. But I also don't understand why people are so upset that Taylor Swift is going to the games. There's always celebrities at the games. You know, she's dating one of the players, so she's going to more than just just one game here, but every game they'll cut away to some celebrity sitting in the stands. Nobody ever cared, but now it's a big deal. Although that's probably just due to more that, that that's really all that we've got to talk about at this point. It's, I don't know if that's sad or a good thing because that obviously means there's no major problems going on, but I really don't want to talk about football. This episode, uh, this is not a football centric episode. I understand at this point of the festivities, it'd be hard for me to prove that this episode is not about football, but it really isn't. So let's move on to the next. Well, before we hit the main topic, I do want to wish everybody a happy Groundhog's Day. That was this Saturday, and I hope everybody had a big celebration for it. That's sarcasm because nobody does anything for Groundhog's Day. The only thing I ever do, most of the time I forget that it is Groundhog's Day and something will pop up on Facebook saying whether or not Punxsutawney Field saw his shadow or not. And this year he claimed to have not seen his shadow, which the years that he says he does see his shadow, I really, I've got to call foul on that because I lived in Pennsylvania and I've ranted about this before. The sun does not come out in Pennsylvania in the winter. That little son of a bitch has never seen his shadow. He wouldn't know what he was looking at if he did see it. Because in February in Pennsylvania, it is cloudy. The sun does not come out, period. You'll you'll get into May and you'll start wondering, where, where did I put my sunglasses? Because you don't know where anything, where the sunglasses are at because you haven't needed them since the very early part of October last year. So the, the groundhog never sees his shadow. But even though I said that I don't, I'm never really aware of Groundhog's Day until I start seeing reports of of what Punxsutawney Phil saw or didn't see. I always did wish that we had made it to Punxsutawney before we moved out of Pennsylvania. Um, That's a little more to the western end of the state. It's closer to Pittsburgh, but from where we were, it was going to be about a three-hour drive. And like I say, even though Groundhog's Day isn't a big official holiday on most people's calendar. I think it would have been fun to go and just experience that festival in Punxsutawney. If nothing else, just for the life experience. But but we're back in the South now. We didn't make it. And if I wouldn't drive three hours to go to it, I sure as hell ain't going to drive six. But that is something that I would have liked to have done before we moved out of Pennsylvania. That never happened. Oh, and uh, I hope everybody's sitting down, but PETA is not a fan of the Punxsutawney Field and the big festival on Groundhog's Day. Uh, They released a statement saying that the groundhog does not want to participate and is not a meteorologist. And uh, just a quick show of hands, uh, does anybody listening to this actually believe that the groundhog is a trained meteorologist or can in fact see the future? Nobody? Are we sure? Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. But at any rate, I look forward to an early spring, and I hope everybody enjoyed your Groundhog Day. 
So let's move right along to the main attraction. Um, I come across an article, and that was actually about two months ago. And this is one of those articles that kind of falls under the heading of how is this not a bigger story than what it is? And it really got me to thinking you know, just how little we actually know about the past or really about anything. You know, Socrates said that true wisdom comes from knowing that you know nothing. And I forget who said it. I think it was one of the founding fathers, but I could be way off on that. But somebody had a quote that that said, mankind only knows one one thousandth of one percent about anything. And if you think about it, that's that's actually true. I mean, how much more is there to learn about any subject that you can possibly think of? We have just scratched the surface on anything. Now, we're very proud of our accomplishments, and we have come a long way from the days where we were living in caves, hoping that the wolves or the cave bears didn't come in and eat us. We have made huge strides, but we are in the infancy of our species, and you know who knows how far we can go if we can keep from shooting everybody, and Russia certainly putting a good bid in to try to get everybody to doing that again. And we made it almost a hundred years without a world war. And it looks like we're getting ready to start a fresh one, but I'm not here to talk about Russia today, but I just want to talk about this article. Now, this is not the original article I read a couple of months ago, but this is the one I pulled up for the purposes of this show. Uh, this is from LiveScience.com, based on stone artifacts dating to about 13,000 years ago. Archaeologists for most of the 20th century suggested that the prehistoric Clovis culture was the first to migrate to the Americas. However, the site of Monteverde in southern Chile, first discovered in 1975, was found to be about 14,200 years old. If people made it that far down in South America by that point, either after their ancestors crossed over the Bering Land Bridge that once connected Asia and North America, or traveling in watercraft along Pacific coasts, then earlier sites must exist in North America. Michael Walters, a geoarchaeologist at Texas A&M University, told Live Science. Starting in 2009, archaeologists began excavating deposits at the Cooper's Ferry site in Idaho. Radiocarbon dating of human projectile points in these deposits revealed that people found their way inland into North America by about 16,000 years ago. Walters noted Cooper's Ferry may be the oldest strong evidence of human settlement of the continent yet, and unpublished research from 2023 describes slightly older evidence stone tools next to animal teeth dated to 18,000 years ago in Oregon. In 2020, archaeologists digging in Chicajite Cave in the Estillero Mountains of central Mexico unearthed about 1,900 stone artifacts. Radiocarbon and optically stimulated luminescence dating of the object suggested that humans might have occupied the area 31,000 to 33,000 years ago. Now, the reason I say why was this not a bigger deal is that, you know, like I say, I had always heard 12,000, 13,000 years is when humans first crossed over the land bridge in Siberia and entered North and South America. These sites are saying that humans have been in the Americas for pretty much three times as long as we previously believed. That, to me, that just feels like a really big story, and it should have been received with a lot more fanfare than than what it was. But it seems like there's kind of a push to to keep saying that you know, well, the you know, the Clovis people that's that's the earliest we know. 
Yeah, I saw you know, there's one person claiming that these stone artifacts might have been made by monkeys. You know, some monkeys do use tools, and but you know, almost 2,000 in a cave that up in the mountains, that seems very, it's almost like he's looking for a reason to, to, to not pay attention to these new findings. And I don't understand that mindset. I, I mean, we all came through COVID. We all got a master class in how little the quote unquote experts actually know about most things. I mean, everything that the experts were telling us about COVID turned out to be 180 degrees the wrong direction. But I, I don't understand digging your heels in. I mean, maybe if you were the person who found that Clovis site, by the way, the Clovis people are named the Clovis people simply because the archaeological site where they found the artifacts of the Clovis people was close to a town called Clovis. And I'm sure they called it the Clovis site originally, and then it just turned into, well, we'll just call it, these were the Clovis people. But we we know so little about prehistoric humans um, you you can go to the a museum and there's all kinds of you know dioramas set up and, and we say that we well we know they did this we know they did that but we're making a lot of assumptions and a lot of intuitive leaps based on finding just very basic artifacts of these people's culture and i want you to just think about it I and mean, just walk through your house pick up three random objects now, just pretend that you know nothing about modern-day culture. Try to imagine what you might think those random objects represent. And then try to build a picture of your entire daily existence based on just those three random things. Now, I understand it's impossible to just completely divorce your brain from the fact that you know everything about your life and the culture, and it's it's going to be hard not to look at those objects and just instantly say, well, I know what it is. But but the fact of the matter is, is that we just we know so little about human prehistory. And I'm not bagging on the archaeologists or the anthropologists. They, they're doing incredible work based on the tiny little fraction of information that they're able to dig out of the ground. I mean, it's literally like they're trying to put a thousand piece puzzle together and they've only got two pieces and those two pieces were buried in the dirt for 10,000 years. And it's not helped by the fact that there's really no written language once you get back past a certain point. And in fact, there are a couple examples of pre-Sumerian or right about the same time as the Sumerian Empire of written records that we simply can't read. I mean, you know, it's it's obviously a written language. Somebody wrote this down. It doesn't compare to anything that we have any kind of data on. And it's just, there's no way to just ever cipher that out unless we find some more information. But there's starting to be a lot of evidence and a lot of sites that really suggest that human history is goes a lot further back than what we ever suspected. You know, for years, everybody has wondered, how did they build the pyramids? Well, that's that's a good question, more in the fact that just, you know, we don't know and it would be nice to know how they did it. They were doing things that they should not have been able to do. But since the pyramids exist, obviously they did it. So they had technology that we were not aware of. Now, I don't I don't prescribe to the ancient alien theory that aliens came down and built it for them. But there are a lot of sites around the world that are dated to a time where we should not have developed agriculture yet we were still hunter gatherers but there are these large stone complexes 
where the stonework is just absolutely incredible. I mean, the, the stonework, they're not using mortars, but the stones fit together so perfectly. It's like they, you know, cast them or 3D printed them or something and made them to where they just fit together perfectly. And these are stones that weigh 20, 30, 100 tons. And these were being built at a time where traditional archaeological beliefs say that we were still living in caves. And you would think, especially if you're dealing with scientific type of people and thinkers, that that these things would, would just absolutely immediately make you th- say, okay, you know, we need to rethink what we believed up to this point. You know, because, I mean, we've got this very large complex built at a time where we should have been throwing rocks at monkeys. But that's usually not the way these things are looked at. You know, they obviously kind of go at it from this, like, well, this is what we've always said. And you're saying something totally different. Now, you know, when I was researching for this, I come across, and I can't remember the guy's name. I didn't make any notes because I think this guy's just a crackpot. Uh, but he's talking about the sites in America. And one researcher claimed to have found a site with uh, mastodon carcasses that he said the bones all showed very obvious signs of having been butchered, meaning there was a, it was like a hunting camp and the people were bringing the animals back to this site and they would butcher the animals there and then they would leave the bones that they weren't going to be able to use. But, but he said that the bones, uh, radiocarbon data, put this site at 150,000 years ago in America. Now, I don't buy that, you know, but what if he's right? And maybe he is because, you know, sometimes the most incredible discoveries, everybody laughs at them when they first get found. Now, I think probably this guy screwed up his dating or maybe he's seeing animals gnawing on these bones and he's thinking that that's tool marks. But I don't know that I buy 150,000 years, but it seems pretty clear at this point that humans have been in the Americas for much, much longer than the 13,000 years that they'd always told us. Now, one of the reasons that I think that maybe this has been kind of not really swept under the rug, but but downplayed in, in the media is that that causes some problems because that means we don't know how these people got here because the 13,000 year theory always said that people migrated up from Asia through the tip of Russia into Alaska, and then they came down into the rest of North America. Now, there's been DNA tests done on the Native Americans, and we know that they are of Asian descent, that people did migrate here from Asia and probably about the 13,000s. The problem with people being here longer than that is we don't know how they got here. They should not have been seafaring at that point, uh, but they got here somehow, obviously. Now, I did see one DNA study of people in South America, that results of that test showed that there was a couple of tribes in South America that they were very, very close related to Aborigines from Australia. Now, if that guy's research is correct, that really throws a monkey wrench into things because how did the Aborigines get from Australia to Central America? And there very well could have been a much more advanced civilization than what we assume back during that time because if you're talking about people that are using wood and making house out of adobe and all their tools are bone and stone stuff like that at thirty thousand years in the past there's going to be so little of that still around in fact i was listening to to somebody talking about like if humans if we all just left the planet tomorrow and left everything here exactly the way it sits when you look out your window within a hundred thousand years there would not be one single thing left on this planet 
that you could point to and say that was from the human civilization. Everything that we have built would be completely destroyed or buried in 100,000 years. I mean, all the roads, the bridges, the railroad tracks, the dams, the buildings, everything would be completely erased from the surface of the earth in 100,000 years. And that's things like uh, glass and steel and concrete, things that we have made to be very durable. You know, if you build a wooden house, in 100 years it's going to be gone, much less 20,000. But in a nutshell, basically what these findings suggest is that we don't know when people got here. Uh, we don't know how they got here. And we don't know what they were doing for the thousands and thousands of years before we started seeing a more definite presence in the fossil record. And I say we don't know how we got here because part of the problem with these new findings is, you know, it was always assumed people come across on a land bridge. But geologists don't believe that the land bridge was present 30,000 years ago or 40,000 years ago. So those people would have had to have gotten here using a technology that we don't think that they should have been able to possess at that time. But archaeologists and anthropologists should take this opportunity to reset their thinking and start looking for evidence with fresh eyes. You know, it's if we have proof that people were here, you can't say, well, we don't we didn't think that they got here that early. That's that's not an answer. You know, it's sort of like I had always and I'm sure everybody has. You always hear, you know, you can prove mathematically that a bumblebee can't fly. Well, that's not the way to look at it, because bumblebees obviously can't fly. I've seen them do it. Don't say that bumblebees shouldn't be able to fly. Say, my math is off. There's something screwy about the numbers I'm working with. And it's a hard thing to do, and it seems like the more education somebody gets, the harder it is for them to say that. But to say, I was wrong, I'm going to have to take another look at things, it seems like most people just really have a big issue doing that. And I've also been kind of kicking around a more conspiratorial theory as to why this isn't as big of an an item in the news that you would think it is, is we have always, my entire life, sort of looked at, you know, the Native Americans were this, you know, this, this noble people and white Americans came in and we just killed them all and took all their stuff. If this theory is true that people were here much, much longer, that's going to throw a big monkey wrench into the people that just use that to say, look how bad America is. Because like I say, we've done DNA testing. We know that the Native Americans did migrate from Asia and probably during the, that last heavy glaciation period where the land bridge was there. If these people were here before them, but they're not here now, that would mean that the Native Americans either pushed those people out or killed them all. And that would sort of put a little bit of a a damper on the victimhood versus evil Western culture kind of thing. And I'm not sure why there is such a strong push among people to just label anything that the American culture has done is horrible. Now, I'm not saying that what was done to the Indians wasn't horrible. It absolutely was. Uh, But that's just what humans do to people. Now, I feel like that we have evolved a little bit since then. Of course, you know, again, Russia is trying to gobble up territories, and it looks like we're getting ready to go into another world war, so maybe we haven't really gotten past it. But human beings have been terrible to human beings since there have been human beings, and that includes the Native Americans. 
the Native Americans, they went to war with each other. They murdered each other. They raped each other. They took each other as slaves. They did what people all over the planet have done to other people since the dawn of time. And I'm not saying that's right, and I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just saying that's how it is. You know, we don't have to like it, but history is what happened. And anybody that you think is the good guys, if you'll go far enough back in their history, you'll find a plenty of examples of them being the bad guys. And that is unfortunately human nature, and it's just unfortunately the way things are. Which is a little bit of a bummer, and I don't want to cut the show off on that. So if you're in Central Virginia this weekend, uh, the weekend of the 11th, uh, Roanoke is having their Big Lick Comic Con, and me and my family are going. And if you can, if it's a reasonable drive for you, I recommend that you do come. It's a lot of fun. This is not a paid advertisement. I was just pleasantly surprised and a little bit impressed with the event that they put on. Uh, they do it two times a year, apparently. I went to one with my kids in July, and they're doing another one this weekend. So looks like it's a two-time-a-year thing, but I wasn't really sure what to expect walking in there. Uh, Roanoke's a very nice city. I like living here a lot, but it is a small city. So I didn't know how big of an event this was going to be. Uh, there was a lot of vendors, a lot of celebrity appearances. It was extremely well attended. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So if you're close and you want something to do this weekend, uh, drive on over to Roanoke and go to the Civic Center. Actually, it's not called the Civic Center anymore. It's called the Berglund Center. But uh, it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. And me and my children and my my nephews and maybe my niece is going to go too. But we're going to make an appearance. And if it's Anywhere close to as good as the one in July was, it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody. So so let's wrap it up there. I appreciate you sitting with me this long. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you didn't enjoy the show, please leave me a comment. Uh, you can do so at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com, or you can go to the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. And if you would take a moment to rate the show and leave a comment and a like and a subscription, that'd be fantastic too. All right, guys. I appreciate you listening to me this long. I hope everybody's enjoying their February, and we will talk again very soon. Thank you very much.